the UK government has a responsibility deal with alcohol producers to lower the number of units consumed by the population. Uh, they have just published an interim report which seems to say that this is happening, uh, but the authors of our latest analysis article uh, question how that report was done and some of the facts in it. Uh, I'm joined on the line now by them, so um, hi, could you introduce yourselves please? Yeah, I'm John Holmes, the lead author of the report. I'm a senior research fellow in the Sheffield Alcohol Research Group at the University of Sheffield, and I mostly work on analysis of alcohol policies. Hi, John. I'm Colin Angus. I'm a research associate in the Sheffield Alcohol Research Group, working on the modelling of alcohol policies and their appraisal. And uh, Petra. I'm Petra Meyer. I'm a professor of public health at the University of Sheffield. Um, I'm, and I'm the director of the Sheffield Alcohol Research Group at the University of Sheffield. Thank you all for joining us today. Now, I, I suppose for our audience, we should just set out you know, what is the responsibility deal and what kind of is the premise that, that underlines it? The responsibility deal was the, the current government's big idea on public health. Rather than having regulatory nanny state kind of measures, it said it would work in partnership with industry, with producers and retailers, uh, particularly of unhealthy products, and get those producers and retailers to make pledges to do things that would improve public health. So in the case of alcohol, they worked with all the major alcohol producers and also particularly the supermarkets and the big pub chains and the big um, off-license chains. And they made pledges like um, that they would increase uh, the labelling of alcohol content on products and that they would fund education initiatives. But one of the biggest pledges they made and, and what became one of the government's headline alcohol policies was a pledge to remove a billion units from the alcohol market, which is about a 2% reduction in alcohol consumption. And they do this by reducing some, the strength of some of existing products, so reducing the strength, for instance, of Stella Artois from, from 5% ABV to 4.8%, and also by increasing um, the availability of a range of new low-strength alcohol products, particularly beers and wines. And um, is there any evidence that these kind of interventions actually work, or is there any evidence that they don't work? There's, there's not a huge amount of evidence that if you introduce low-strength products, people start drinking these and, and it reduces their overall consumption. Um, that's partly because there's not been a lot of work done in that area. It's not been tried very often. But also it's been found that where these products have been introduced, there's not much demand from them. People tend not to buy them. No, that's right. Um, the 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 part of the market that is accounted for by those uh, extra low strength um, products is, is and remains very small. Um, other countries that have tried introducing uh, similar kind of measures have found that um, there's a mixed picture of who tends to drink those products. Um, partly people who are trying to cut down, but, but to a major part they can also be seen as a starter product for people who don't, wouldn't maybe uh, start drinking sure, otherwise. Yeah. Um, younger drinkers tend to prefer them, female drinkers. So, so people who may not otherwise have bought alcohol might sort of be attracted into drinking by low-strength products. Now, in the UK, that, that analysis hasn't been done, um, but just to say that low-strength products aren't sort of a... A good thing per se, you'd have to be careful to see what is achieved by introducing those strengths into a market without possibly uh, you know, t taking away other products at the same time. Mm. So this is kind of a natural experiment that's going on um, in the UK population then with, with regard to this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the things that's particularly interesting at the moment is that 
irrespective of whether this pledge was made or not, the industry was already making moves to start reducing the strength of products and promoting new low-strength products. And this is on the back of, of market research data that suggests this is actually what consumers want, but consumers are moving towards wanting lighter drinks. We've heard lots of talk in recent years about wines getting stronger and stronger and stronger, particularly wines from Australia and the new wine-producing countries. And the argument was actually consumers were starting to react against this and starting to, they didn't want to wake up with a hangover from one glass of wine. They wanted lower-strength drinks. There's a second part of it as well, which is that the alcohol consumption has been falling for quite a while now, almost 10 years. And the big reason for that is falling beer consumption. And the beer producers are very worried. So one of the ideas they've come up with is to try and diversify, create new kinds of products which would appeal to a wider range of drinkers, and particularly to women who traditionally haven't drunk beer, but the producers feel might be attracted to beer by lower strength options. Right. So so this billion unit pledge might just be a, a trend that's happening already. So it's nothing to do with, with a, an a new intervention it's to do with uh, with just the way the the numbers are falling out yeah, yeah exactly there's, there's certainly market forces in place and there, are, there have been suggestions that this pledge is a lot less about public health and a lot more about commercial needs and commercial needs that were already long in place before the pledge was made okay um if we concentrate on the pledge just now though um there is uh, their interim report that's come out, um, which seems to indicate, you know, uh, that that's you know, that it's that it's working. Um, what's the sort of top line, uh, the headline figures from from that report? So the headline figure is that um, uh, over the first two years of the pledge, that 1.3 billion units has been removed from the marketplace. So that obviously exceeds the 1 billion target. So the um, uh, second interim report concludes that the pledge has been met. Okay. And you think, well, as you've indicated, you think that might not be uh, the the actual um, case. So um, let's break down their, their report a little bit. Um, where did they get their data from? What are they using as their data sources? So they got their data from two places. So the main place is from HMRC's tax data, which gives you various bits of information about the alcohol that's sold in the UK each year. And there's three key, key pieces of information you need for this analysis. You need to know the, the strength of the alcohol that's being sold, so the ABV, the alcohol by volume. You need to know the total amount of ethanol sold, so the number of units of alcohol. And you also need to know the volume of alcohol that's been sold, so the volume of alcohol drink, how many litres of beer have been sold. So three things, the strength, the number of units of alcohol, and the, the volume of beer sold. Now, the HMRC data can only tell you certain things because of the different ways that alcohol is taxed. And So what the, what the Department of Health did was they also bought some market research data which provided them with information that filled in the gaps. So they're actually merging two different data sets here. Right. They've got some market research data and they've got the HMRC data. And in combination, they give them the various pieces of information they use in their analysis. Okay. And uh, you've already mentioned some of the stuff about behavioural things, but um, is there any more, uh, any more data that they've used to, to try and track you know, people's actual buying behaviours? No, so they haven't uh, uh, got any data on exactly how people respond to the policy, and that's part of the problem. I mean, you said that this is 
a natural experiment, uh, and potentially a very interesting natural experiment, to see how people react to a greater range and availability of low alcohol products in the market. But unfortunately, the data is, to our knowledge, not being collected by anyone on exactly how people respond. So whether people do um, drink the same amount as they were drinking before, but it just has less alcohol in it, or whether they begin drinking um, low alcohol products in situations where they wouldn't previously have drunk anything, or mm. you know, other potential situations. They might decide they don't like the product uh, in its new form and swap to something quite different, you know, I mean, you just don't know unless you have individual level consumption data at the sort of brand level, mm -hmm. so you can track what people do. Yeah, and that's the key thing. Um, these various different data sources the government used, the key thing they don't include is any information on people's switching between high and low strength products. Even at the population level, they, they don't tell you anything about how much uh, the, the sales of low strength products has increased. And that seems quite odd, actually, when you think that the key point of this evaluation is to understand whether um, the pledge has led to more low-strength products being sold and fewer high-strength products being sold. There's no data on that included in the analysis, mm. or but, inferred from averages. Right, so that's that's a major flaw already. Um, you know, you mentioned the analysis. How have they actually tried to construct... Um, uh, some some information out of this data, uh, and and how was there anything in there that you thought wouldn't work? Um, I mean, the way they've done it is is quite difficult to explain. The key assumption they've made is that you can estimate the number of units removed from the market by looking at how the average strength of products has changed over time. And the problem with that is that the change in the average strength of products doesn't necessarily mean people are drinking mm, less. Sure. So, for example, if people drank exactly the same amount and then added a load of new, new low-strength products to that consumption, the average strength would fall, but the amount of alcohol com they're consuming would rise. Now, that makes perfect sense, but when you do the, the analysis the way the government has done, they would conclude that alcohol consumption had fallen. Now, that seems very counterintuitive, but that, that's actually the way the analysis works. And it's all to do with this assumption that uh, a change in the strength of, a change in the average strength of drinks sold directly relates to a change in the amount of alcohol that's sold. Mm. I mean, that's, 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 seems like a, a, a strange oversight. The method they've come up with was actually developed by something called the Responsibility Deal Monitoring and Evaluation Group which at the time the method was developed did have various public health stakeholders on it, although the method was slightly adapted after those stakeholders resigned. But I don't think that that's the main reason that this analysis has ended up like it is. I think what's more likely is this is just the way they felt they could get at a number, um, given that the data they needed wasn't available. And as a result, they've ended up with a slightly uninformative way of doing things and in fact a way of doing things that isn't just uninformative it gives you invalid estimates um, unless people behave in one specific way so the only way this analysis will give you the right answer is if people drink exactly the same amount of beer but just drink it at lower strength if they do that you'll get the right answer if they do anything else if they switch to drinking a bit more wine and a bit less spirits and have a little bit more low-strength alcohol, but a little bit more high-strength alcohol. If they do anything that's any kind of mixture of activities, you'll get a totally invalid estimate. And that's the key problem with this analysis.
Sure. And did, were they taking into account anything like we've been in a recession, so people's uh, you know spending might have gone down, which would affect the uh, the presumed number of, of units they've got, which isn't to say that that will carry on after a recession finishes. Yeah, I mean, one of the other major critiques of this, and there's three major critiques, this is the second, is that they don't really take any account of other explanations for why things might have changed between the, the pledge being made and the, the evaluation being conducted. So various other things were going on at the same time. For a number of years, we've had a fall in the average strength of beer that's being consumed by the population. Now, there are various reasons why that's happening, but most of that fall preceded the pledge, and there's no reason to believe it wouldn't have carried on even if the pledge hadn't been made. And the analysis takes no account of that, that pre-existing trend. Similarly, um, the government introduced new, low tax, sorry, new taxes on lower-strength beer, which meant that you can make more profit on lower-strength beer. It incentivized production of lower-strength beer, and it also incentivized purchase of it because it made it cheaper. When were they introduced? Um, so they were introduced in 2011, um, yeah, in the autumn. That's right. Um, and again... You would expect that to have some impact on consumption, but the analysis takes no account of this. So there's various factors in there, and there are others as well, which could have influenced how much alcohol consumption fell over the course of the evaluation, which just aren't taken account of. Yeah, as you say, recession, um, downward trends in consumption anyway, which uh, were going on before and have carried on after. So so there, there are a lot of things, uh, and, and that's one of the... That's the second criticism, isn't it, uh, yeah. the, of, of our things? And, mm. yeah. to... and if we go on to the, the third point, is that so a lot of this analysis is based on HMRC data, as we've said, and one of the key pieces of data, because a huge amount of the effect, of a claimed effect of a pledge, comes from an impact on beer. And HMRC actually changed the way it recorded beer data in 2011. And when we looked at the impact of that change, we found some slightly strange things. So we see in a single month, the amount, the average strength of beer being sold dropped very sharply. Um, what was particularly unusual was that according to the HMRC data, the average strength of beer being produced didn't change. So you had a big drop in the strength of beer being sold or released for sale, but no change in the, in the strength of beer being produced. Now, when we contacted HMRC to ask about this, they didn't really give us a clear answer. <laughs> but from what they did say, the best we could understand was that they introduced some kind of change into their recording system to take account of the introduction of the new taxes on low-strength beer. And this led to some discontinuities in the data. Now, all that's fine, except that the analysis doesn't take any account of that. So you've got this big change in one of the key outcome measures for the evaluation, which just isn't taken account of at all. And, it, and actually, the, the report itself says that this change in the data actually made our policy much more effective. <laughs> it almost acknowledges this change has been made, but doesn't give any consideration to the fact of whether it represents a real change or not, or whether it's just an artefact of ch some changes in reporting systems, as HMRC have indicated to us. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's whilst... Um as John says, we can't be certain exactly what the um, the sort of the, the reason why this discontinuity arises. Um, I mean, essentially, it is entirely implausible that this represents a genuine step change in the strength of beers. That suddenly we had loads of the you know. I mean, you would have noticed if the market was suddenly flooded in the autumn of 2011 with loads of low strength imported beer. 
Um, and as that didn't happen, you can only conclude that this is an artefact in the data, and it does have a huge impact on the estimated um, uh, effect of the pledge. So um, the 1.3 billion, if you if you remove this readjustment of the um, strength of beer that HMRC introduced, that gets reduced to less than half a billion. So instead of saying that the pledge has been met, if you apply this methodology, which, as we've said, is in and of itself quite problematic, you still find that the pledge is in fact not even, they're not even halfway to achieving it. Mm. So you've got data that's incomplete, you've got an analysis that uh, doesn't take into account lots of confounding factors. Um, your report on this report is, uh, is pretty damning. Um, what kind of decisions are being made based on you know, the outcome of this report? Is there anything that's actually going to affect alcohol consumption in the UK? The way alcohol policy decisions made is always quite opaque. Um, we've just seen duty cuts from the Chancellor. Um, in fact, we've seen three years of duty cuts from the Chancellor, which started only a few months after the government said cheap alcohol was one of the biggest reasons for the high rates of alcohol-related harm in the country. So it's not always clear to see why alcohol policy decisions are made. Um, what is clear, though, is that the government is holding up the responsibility deal, and particularly the success of a billion unit pledge, as an example of what can be achieved by working in partnership with industry. And implicit in that suggestion is that regulatory measures, nanny state policies, if you like, um, aren't required. You can, you can achieve the same effect by working in partnership. And I think what makes our critique quite important is it shows, well, actually, that might not be the case. Mm. Um, actually, the, the impact of this pledge may be much, much smaller than has been claimed. It may have had some positive impact. We don't know at the moment. But what what's not clear is that um, the pledge has been a success or that a responsibility deal has been a success. Do you think this undermines the whole idea of a responsibility deal? I don't think our critique undermines a responsibility deal per se. It certainly shows that a key element of it um, hasn't had the effect that the government claims it has. But what it does show, and what, what's written into the paper in, in some of the discussion about the responsibility deal is, there are good reasons to believe that at least some of the, re the, the motivation for making this pledge was more about commercial uh, needs than public health concern. So, for example, as we've said, the, the motivation to get people to drink more lower-strength alcohol or to act on people's demand for lower-strength alcohol may have been a bigger drive for the, for the industry to pledge to produce more of that kind of drinks than any particular concern about public health. Now, as I say, that, that doesn't mean that the policy won't have um, led to people reducing their consumption. It may well have done. But that, on its own, doesn't make the responsibility deal effective. These kind of things may have been happening irrespective of whether a responsibility deal was in place or not. And there is a line of argument that says a responsibility deal may just be a way of providing... PR coups for, the, for various industries rather than actually being uh, a benefit to public health. Mm. Well, the case just hasn't been made. You can't, can't comment on any p uh, potential uh, public health impacts unless you commit at the same time to collect the right data to allow an evaluation. And I think that has, that has failed. There, there isn't the data that would allow you to, to judge any effect, whether it has made the situation worse or better, or is, is fairly neutral because it's all stuff that would have happened anyway. Mm. And that's, I think, one of the key criticisms is that where 
there isn't that rigorous evaluation, people are free to claim whatever they want. I think the implication of our critique is that we've shown very clearly here that this particular case, you can say that the evaluation is flawed, there are very clear flaws in it, you can point to those flaws and say this means this claim that 1.3 billion units have been removed from the market is invalid. So the implication of that is that this report should be withdrawn and that particularly stakeholders, including those within the alcohol industry, should be asked to not make any claims about the success of a pledge until a more robust evaluation has been carried out. John, Colin and Petra, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.